0: the Gospel of John chapter 17. The Gospel of John chapter 17. And as I announced this morning, tonight I want to speak to you on the subject, the glory of the cross. The glory of the cross. A very fitting thought in this particular week as we contemplate the death of our dear Lord and the coming Sunday as we commemorate the resurrection of our Saviour. John chapter 17, we read beginning at verse 1 down through verse 5. And this chapter in the Bible is perhaps one of the high pinnacles in the Gospels. It is that, uh, that, that chapter which records the great high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus. Interestingly enough, you'll find that he prays only one request for himself. The remainder of the prayer concerns his desire, his burden, his concern for his followers. In verse one, these words are found to say, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. For the Lord Jesus' life was a life with a climax. A climax that was in his own life, the cross. Sad that too many of us live not a life that is headed in some particular direction. But so many have merely an existence on this earth. But in the life of the Lord Jesus from the very moment of his entry into this earth and onto this planet, we find that our Lord set his face as a flint toward the cross. That was his goal. That was his purpose. For him, the cross was the glory of life. And not only was it the glory of life, but it was literally the way to the glory out in eternity. The cross and what it would accomplish was referred to by our Lord often as the hour. And and that hour was that that his life pointed to and that he always traveled in the direction of. It was the target. It was the very mission of all of his life. And everything in his life was leading him ever in that direction of the hour or the death that he would die on the cross. Back in chapter 12 of this same gospel of John, look at verse number 23 and 24. And you'll find there that our Lord definitely identifies this hour that he referred to so often as his death. And thus we read at verse 23 of chapter 12, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So I think uh, as you look at this hour that our Lord's face was ever toward, it is very evident and without question that it was the cross upon which you would die and purchase redemption and salvation for all who would believe. And yet when you look at this very fact of our Lord praying for that hour and that glory would come in the cross, you cannot help but begin to, begin to ask yourself the question, Wherein does the glory of the cross lie? Where is it? Uh, Why and what did he mean when he referred to this cross as his glory? Well, undoubtedly, there are many answers to that very question, and they're all very important and very uh, needful for us to understand. I think it is one of the great facts, then, of history that again and again... It is in the death, in the death of the great ones whom we consider great ones and that greatness of their life was found not so much in their life as it was discovered in their death. It was when they died. It was how they died. It was how in that death they would reveal to men and women who might even question their greatness while on this earth that that dying would indeed prove what and what kind of person that one who died that death. Jesus even spoke to Simon Peter about the death that he would die whereby he would glorify God. And say, you know, we don't only need to pray for the Lord to be glorified in the life that we live, but also in the death that we die. I believe we should be conscious of that. And even in the dying of the child of God, there can be glory brought to the Lord Jesus. That is, in the attitude of that dying saint. The, The reaction to the news that perhaps he's soon to pass from this scene. Or even the declining of health and physical strength. Those things, how we react to them can either bring honor to our Lord or they can bring dishonor to him. Do you remember Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter the day will come when someone you'll have to stretch forth your hand and someone will have to lead you about. The day will come when someone else will have to dress you. You'll not be able to clothe yourself. And yet he said, and this spake he concerning the death whereby he would glorify God. And all oh, how often the glory of God and honor to God is brought in the, in the dying days of the child of God. The way they respond to affliction, the way they respond to the adversities in their life, the, the, the illnesses, the disease in their life. And so our Lord Jesus in his dying indeed showed forth his own glory and the kind of person that he was to those who had observed his life. The lives of great men and women often have been misunderstood while they live. They have been undervalued. As well, they have been resisted. They have have had folks to turn against them. But yet in the death of that person, that person showed the nobility and showed their very place in the scheme of things in life. I think of the famous president of our country, Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln indeed had many enemies while he was on this earth and alive. But yet even those who criticized and undervalued Abe Lincoln, when he died, they somehow recognized the greatness of this very man. Someone said when coming from that room where he eventually died from the assassin's bullet, someone was overheard to say... Now he belongs to the ages. Now he belongs to the ages. Stanton, who was the minister of, uh, of, uh, the, uh, of the military, the minister of war, was often heard to criticize Abe Lincoln. He called him a very crude and uncouth man. He, had, uh, he, was, very, he, was, very, he was not silent in his opposition nor even of his criticism of Abe Lincoln. But when Abe Lincoln died, Stanton, who had been so critical of him, said, there lies the greatest leader of men the world has ever seen. Isn't it amazing how in a man's death and in his dying, the greatness of that person somehow really comes out and we recognize that greatness in that person's life. It literally calls to mind that record in Matthew chapter 27 at verse 54, when the centurion, and those who stood about the cross, and they were watching Jesus as he died. The Bible said that they, that centurion and perhaps others with him uh, cried aloud, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. They were unwilling to recognize that while he lived, in spite of all of his miracles, in spite of all the good that he had done, but yet in his death on that cross, there was a recognition that indeed he was who he said he was. I think of the famous Joan of Arc who was burned as a witch and who was counted a heretic by the English. And yet when Joan of Arc was burned at the stake, an Englishman who had literally thrown a faggot in the fire to contribute to her death by burning was overheard to say, Would that my soul was where the soul of that woman is. He recognized in her, though the church called her a heretic, he saw in her something of the Savior and of the assurance of eternity in heaven with the Lord. The cross then was indeed the glory of our Lord Jesus. And yet never in his entire life Was the majesty of Christ so evident as it was while he hung there on that cross dying for sinners? There as he hung on the cross, you never heard a word of complaint. And fulfilling even the words of the prophet Isaiah who said, He went like a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep to the sharers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. How majestic was the dying of our Lord. And even while men hurl their accusations and their profane blasphemies at him, yet he was overheard to say, in that dying hour, Father, forgive them. And yet I think again of how on that cross, as I mentioned this morning, he showed a concern for others. His dear mother who stood beneath that cross and looking at John, he said, Behold thy mother. How majestic was our Lord even in the excruciating pain and the grip of death itself. And yet you'll find throughout the Bible it was the death of our Lord Jesus more than his life that drew men unto him. And is that not what the scripture says? Jesus said and I if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. Ah, the Savior hanging upon the cross, knowing that he has died for the sins of the world. It is in that death, that death that he died, that draws men ever unto himself. I couldn't help but ask myself the question as I thought on these things. I wonder, would you and I have ever heard of Jesus of Nazareth had he not died on a cross? I doubt if we would ever heard of him. He would have been counted simply among the good teachers and prophets and few people would have ever heard his name. But oh, there's hardly a place in the civilized world that a man can go who has not heard the name of Jesus Christ, who somehow is in some faint way acquainted with the cross upon which our Lord Jesus died. And it was that very cross that that great apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory." save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could have gloried in a lot of things. He could have gloried in his position as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He could have gloried in his uh, his education and his ability that he had learned seated at the feet of some of the greatest teachers of the day. But Paul did not glory in anything, not in himself, not in what few possessions he had. His glory was in the cross of our Lord Jesus. And yet if Jesus had not died that death on the cross, would we have ever heard a man say, God forbid that I should glory in anything save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then let me say a second thing. That is the cross was his glory because it was the completion of his work. The completion of his work. Look at verse number four that we read. And Jesus said in this prayer, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. In other words, for him to have stopped short of the cross would have been failure. Why? For simply he had come to tell men and about God and his love as well as to show this world what it means when the Bible said, for God so loved the world. Had he stopped short, had he stopped short of the cross, it would have been like God saying, this far and no farther. I will love you in this world up to the point but I am not prepared to offer my only begotten son on a cross and let you spit in his face and crucify him and malign him on oh, no! But the cross said, "Ah, oh, I am prepared to go to the limit to go as far as needs to be gone in order to say to men that I love you and that I provide redemption for you by the death that he died on that cross. In other words, he is simply saying there is no limit to his love. And we hear him crying out on the cross, as I mentioned this morning, that cry, it is finished. It is finished. That was a cry of truth. For indeed, truth it is that salvation is completed in the very death of our Lord and the resurrection that would occur three days from that moment of agonizing death. His cry was a cry. It is finished. Salvation, you don't have to add to it. You don't have to take away from it. No more bulls or goats or bullocks must be offered. It is truth that he cried. It is finished. And I'm glad that I can offer to the world and to those whom I preach and you in this audience a complete, a finished salvation. It is not something that you have to add to. In other words, you don't take Jesus and then have to add something to him. Oh no, it is as Paul said, we're saved by God's grace, plus nothing, minus nothing. It's all of the grace of God. And then again, I hear in that cry, it is finished, a cry of triumph. It is like the shout of a soldier who has heard the last shot from the enemy and the white flag of surrender is thrown up and that is finished, the battle's over. It is like a man who has spent years writing a book and at the end he simply puts the word finish. It is finished, it's over, it is done. And so our Lord cries a cry of triumph in spite of all the obstacles Satan threw in front of him. In spite of all that he would do, even to the betrayal of him by one of his own disciples, our Lord would cry triumphantly, it is finished, it is finished. And then I believe truly it was a cry of terror. For the cry when our Lord cried, it's finished, I believe it caused all hell to shudder. I believe the demons of hell must have trembled as they heard this cry. And Satan must have indeed feared and must have fell away in utter defeat for Christ said it's through. It is finished. All of the temptation that he had given Christ on the mount failed all of his attempts to eliminate him before he died on the cross, ah, all of them had failed. And now Jesus cries, it is finished and that's a cry of terror. It shakes hell to its very foundation. And so you're our Lord completing redemption and he did it by his death on the cross. Back in Bristol, England in World War II in the days when Hitler was bombing the city of London and so much of that, uh, of that fair country, there was a young boy by the name of Derek Belfall. Derek Belfall was a young messenger boy who carried very important messages from one outpost to another. He's just a teenage boy and he'd ride his bicycle back and forth. And they gave him a message one day and he carried it on his bicycle to that certain, uh, that certain post. But upon his return, a bomb fell and Derek was killed in that bomb blast. And they said to those who had knelt by him in his dying moments, they said the last words of this young boy was, messenger bell reporting. Message has been delivered. And I hear something in that of what our Lord was saying. I have delivered the message. I have said to the world, I love you. That God loves you. That he's not willing that you perish. And that he hung on that cross and in those final moments he cried, it's finished. I have completed the task. I have finished, as he said in verse 4, the work that thou gavest me to do. He gave his life that the message from God and the truth from God could be delivered. That's how much he loves us. Willing to die for us. Loving enough to die for us. Just to simply say, I love you. I care for you. Then I think in a third place, there's another question that arises about this glorying in the cross. How did the cross glorify God? How did that bring honor to the Lord? And yet I'd simply answer it by saying, there is only one way for any man, any woman, any boy or girl to glorify God. And that is, are you listening? By obedience to God. The only way. No man honors God who disobeys him. No person glorifies God by disobeying him. A child brings honor to its parent when that child brings to the parent obedience. Indeed, a citizen honors his country when he brings obedience to that country. A student brings honor to his teacher and his instructor when that student obeys and follows his teaching. And indeed, Jesus brought glory and honor to God by his death on the cross because it was an act of obedience. In his life, he was heard to say, I do always those things that please the Father. I came to do thy will. It is written in the books. This is his ministry. This is his mission. And indeed, it ought to be yours and mine. For that is God's call to us, to obey him, to follow him, to honor him in a life of obedience. But when you and I are disobedient to the teaching of the scripture, we bring dishonor upon the very Christ whom we claim as our own and whom we profess to know as our Savior. The four gospels, I think, makes it very clear that Jesus could have escaped the cross. Humanly speaking, he could have turned back. From the human standpoint, he could have refused to go through with the ordeal of that death on the cross. And yet as you look at him in his last days and as you look at him there in the mock trial that he endured and you view him in visions of the soul on the cross, the heart cries out, see how he loved God. See how he loves men. See through his obedience the love that he's trying and did express to a world that deserves all the judgment of God and hell itself. Yet there's more. In the fourth place, the cross was his glory, but the resurrection was the vindication of that glory. The resurrection was the vindication of that glory. The cross was not the end. It was not a dead end street. It was a thoroughfare that would bring God's proposed redemption for men who would believe. The resurrection indeed vindicated all that he said, all that he claimed to be, And indeed, all that he could do, if he had not risen, all that he had ever taught, all that he had ever said, all that he had ever lived, would have been nothing more than mockery. But his resurrection was the crowning of that that he had accomplished by his death on the cross. I think it was as if God was looking at the cross and his son hanging on there. As he looked I think he's saying see what men think of my son. But at the resurrection I think I see our father's hand pointing and saying see what I think of my son. I brought him from this tomb. I brought him from the grave. The cross indeed though was the very worst of man's expression of rejection and hatred of our Lord Jesus. Jesus. But yet all of the worst that man could do would not and could not conquer him and would not eliminate him. Satan must have had a joyous party with his demons when our Lord was placed in that tomb. Hoping somehow that 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 he had spoken would never occur. But ah, to no avail. The party was empty and vain for on the third day our Lord Jesus came forth victorious over Satan and all of his attempts. Yet let me mention one other thing. And that is the cross that he gloried in. The cross was the way back. Notice he said in these verses, glorify me with the glory which I had before the world began. He's like a soldier who left for the battlefield with a mission to perform some perilous task. And having performed it, He now comes home to enjoy the conqueror's crown, the conqueror's victory. And our Lord Jesus says, in essence, the way of the cross is the way back home. Jesus came from God and he returned to God. But he returned by the way of the cross. The exploit that he performed and did while on this earth was that which was between his coming forth our coming down to this earth and his going and returning to the father had he refused to pass through that way of the cross he would have had no glory and would have had no glory to enter into for all eternity for jesus then the cross the cross was his ret- the way of his return to the father We used to sing an old song, and I'd like for you to find it in your songbook, number 404. And I'd like for us to sing it, The Way of the Cross Leads Home. And while you sing it, I want you to realize that that's the only way for you and me to come home. No, not as he died on the cross, but because he died, because he gave his life's blood. And yet it is by the way of the cross that men go home to be of the Lord. Evade the cross, and you'll miss home. Pass by the cross, ignore it, and you'll miss the Father. You'll miss heaven itself. For it is only by that death of our Savior on the cross and His glorious, His wondrous, His thrilling resurrection that we have promise of entering heaven. I want you to stand with me and sing number 404. I don't want us to rush through it, but I want you to sing it slowly enough so you can just get the thought and the truth of what this old song is saying. Watch what it says. I hope you know this, and I'm sure you do. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the It must be. stanza. Have you come by the way of the cross? Is everybody here tonight come by the way of the cross? You realize there's no other way for a man to enter into that celestial land other than by the cross. It's on that cross. He paid the price, canceled our sin debt. We can have that promise and the hope of eternal life through simple faith in the Savior. Let's sing that last stanza and I think because I think surely because of all he suffered and endured for us, this last stanza, this last stanza ought to really be the determination of our heart. Sing it with me. Then I to heaven, folks, will only glory in the cross. I don't mean just an old wooden structure, but all that was accomplished for us by the precious Son of God when He hung on that cross. Let's bow together as we pray, and I trust that you'll be faithful in your attendance in our service on Wednesday night, as well as, why not, take advantage, take advantage of this Easter Sunday coming up. Don't be slack and negligent, folks. Invite somebody to come with you to the Lord's house on next Sunday. It'll be a wonderful opportunity. Perhaps one of the easiest times you'll have in inviting folks to come to church with you. Why not let everyone determine we're going to try. We're going to make a special effort to bring somebody along with me and my family. Let's do the best we can. I believe as we launch out to do that, God will honor us in every way.